Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining with us for this week's podcast. This week, our speaker is Craig Somerville, our pastor of Care Ministries, and he's kicking off our new series, Teach Us to Pray. And before we continue, I just want to have Sam update us on our giving this last month. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We're so glad that we can be joined together. And for those of you uh, joining us online, uh, we welcome you here. Uh, in our digital space, and uh, just want to give a quick uh, financial update from our year-end giving challenge that we had in June, which we're excited to announce. Uh, last year, just to let you know, in June, we always do a year-end uh, giving in June uh, to try to close off our year-end giving and uh, to make ministry continue to happen. We have a really cool story I want to share in just a moment. Uh, but last year in June, we brought in $215,000 in all of our funds. We have four funds, our missions fund, our benevolent fund, our general fund, and our building fund. And this June, we brought in $350,000, which we're super excited about. So uh, last June in our general fund, we had uh, $176,000 brought in, and this year was $201,000. So $25,000 more in our general fund. And in our building fund, which we focused on, if you remember, in our June giving challenge, last year in June, we had $17,000 come in, and this year we had two. Uh, $131,000 come in on our building fund, which is amazing, which is $114,000 more than last year. And um, it couldn't come at a better time because that building fund dollars goes to pay down the Walden debt property here. And if you're paying attention, the interest rates have just shot up again. So that goes to pay principal, which helps in our interest payments, which was great. So we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, Southview, for your generosity and making ministry continue to move and happen here at Southview. So the best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to the viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites you to bring all that you are and all that you're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, summer is truly upon us, isn't it? What a great day today, 30-degree weather, sunshine. Just heard about our kids' camp that we hosted here, Make Waves, a week or two ago. And uh, we had a Stampede breakfast here last weekend, 1,500 people in attendance. Uh, we're at the end of Stampede week. Um, NHL free agency day came and went. We lost our star, Johnny Hockey. I don't know if any of you are upset about that, but uh, summer is fully here. Got the summer haircut and everything, right? And uh, we've got a new series that we're starting uh, this weekend called Teach Us to Pray. And for the remainder of the summer months uh, into September, we'll be talking about prayer, focusing on prayer, and basically ask, uh, sort of inviting God to teach us to pray as we look at uh, different men and women of faith uh, from the, the scriptures. And so I thought it'd be a fun way to start this series uh, tonight just by looking at some prayers from children. 
And maybe we could learn some things from them as we look at how some children pray. So there's a few that I came across that I just want to share. And uh, so the first one here is uh, from a child named Nan. Dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. Maybe some of you can relate to that. I don't know. And the next one here, uh, prayer from Joyce. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I really prayed for was a puppy. Uh, disappointed Joyce uh, when her brother came home from the hospital, I guess. Uh, next one there. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. And that's from Larry. Just a tip for God, I guess, if we were to rewrite the word. And uh, next one here uh, from Jeff. Dear God, it is great the way you always get the stars in the right places. That's a beautiful prayer from Jeff. And then the last one here is from Jane. Oh, no, there's a couple more here. Sorry. Dear God, uh, what does it mean you are a jealous God? I thought you had everything. She's trying to make sense of what her Sunday school teacher is telling her, right? It doesn't make sense. Okay, and the next one, uh, yeah, this is the last one. Dear God, this one's my favorite. On Halloween, I'm going to wear a devil's costume. Is that all right with you? <laughs> I think I'd like to meet Marnie because she sounds like an interesting child. Um, as we look at those prayers from the mouths of kids, uh, maybe we can relate to just some of the honesty there, uh, the questions that some of these children are asking God, um, the confessions even, right? I, I have a hard time loving everybody in my family. You know, how do you do it? So we can learn some things from, from children in their prayers. But uh, as we focus in uh, this summer and this, this series, Teach Us to Pray, we're going to look at uh, men and women of faith, men and women of, of the word, and uh, their prayer lives and what we can learn from them. And as we think about this idea of teaching us to pray, uh, I think it's important to note that if you were to look at polls in our culture, our society, most people would say they pray. It's, it's a common thing. If you were to ask, you know, just some random person on the street, do you pray? It's not uncommon to hear that people pray. And I think it's important to maybe ask the question, do we really know what we're talking about when we talk about prayer? And as we look at the prayer lives of men and women of faith in the word uh, and this idea that they're talking to the living God, the almighty one, and somehow they're able to communicate with him and have these powerful conversations and so we're going to invite Jesus to teach us to pray as we look at uh, his word over the, the next few weeks. So tonight we're going to be looking at Genesis 18, verses 16 to 33, and looking at a, a powerful prayer, a powerful conversation between Abraham and God. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, Genesis 18, 16 to 33. I'll be reading from the New International Version, and it'll be on the screen as well if you don't have it in front of you. Uh, you can follow along that way. And as I am about to read, friends, remember this is the Word of God. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. And then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, 
The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. And so the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And then Abraham approached him and said this, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? And he said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said again, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And he said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Let's pause and invite Jesus to speak to us from his word this evening. And so Jesus, as we open your word, we know that your word is living and active, and we invite you by your Holy Spirit to activate it tonight. Open our ears to hear what you have to say to us. Help us to experience you as we interact with your word in these moments. And as we've talked about, would you teach us to pray as we look at Abraham's prayer life tonight? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we consider this prayer, I want to actually go back a little bit from the passage I just read and begin with this idea that before Abraham prayed, there was a divine interruption that took place. And if you've got your Bibles, you can flip back. But uh, let me just read from the beginning of chapter 18. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Now, we'll, be, we'll later realize that these three men, these three strangers, are the Lord and his messengers, and they've arrived in Abraham's front yard. It says that Abraham's sitting in front of his tent, maybe on a day like today, sun tanning, 30-degree weather, just enjoying the day. Or maybe he's recovering from the brutal surgery he had the chapter earlier, if you want to go back and see what that's about. But something's going on. Abraham's kind of going about his business, and these strangers show up this divine interruption takes place. And Abraham then has a conversation with, with God that lasts into the passage that we just read. And I want to just kind of put it out there that before the conversation took place, a divine interruption happened. 
And Abraham had a couple of options as he's sitting suntanning in front of his tent. He could have just stayed there and sort of ignored the strangers and let the interruption go by and not embrace it. But instead, Abraham actually got up and he embraced the interruption. He welcomed the strangers. He got his wife, Sarah. They got some food together. They fed them and they had a conversation. And the divine interruption then would lead to uh, this prayer that we just read in verse 16 and on. If you read through the Bible, the Bible's full of divine interruptions. We could think of Moses and a burning bush and how God spoke out of that burning bush. A divine interruption took place in Moses' life. We could fast forward to the New Testament and look at Paul. Before he came, the Apostle Paul, he was out persecuting Christians. And on his way to persecute Christians one day, Jesus showed up and interrupted his life in a dramatic fashion. In a not-so-dramatic fashion, a few verses later, A disciple named Ananias received a vision from God, and God asked him to go and pray for Saul. And Ananias had to, you know, wrestle with whether or not to embrace or reject that divine interruption. If you read through the book of Acts, there's just interruption after interruption after interruption of God trying to intersect people's lives and show up in meaningful ways. And here in this passage, we have a divine interruption, and Abraham gets up from his suntanning posture or whatever he was doing, and he welcomes that interruption that day. And out of that divine interruption, it led to a divine interaction. But before we get into that, let me just kind of ask the question, what might a divine interruption look like for you and I? What would it look like for God to show up and meet us? It might not be in this face-to-face dramatic way, but he can still show up, right? Maybe in sort of unusual circumstances in our lives, maybe through spending time in his word in in an environment like this, God can speak. God desires to interact with us and interrupt our lives too. Sometimes it could come through a relationship or a conversation or you get a text message from somebody and it just catches you and God is, is wanting to just show up in that moment in your day. What do you do when he tries to interrupt your life? Are you ready to receive him, or would you ignore the interruption? Abraham welcomes the interruption, and it leads to this divine interaction. So let's look at that, and that's in the passage that we just read in full, uh, verses 16 to 33, this divine interaction. So verse 16 and 17 says, When the men got up to leave, these men are, are the Lord and his messengers. When the men got up to leave... They looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. And then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? It's like God's talking to these messengers with him, these angels or whoever they are that are with him. You know, should I engage in a conversation with Abraham? Should I hide from him what I'm about to do? And we're going to look into this interaction that takes place. And and the first thing that we see is that God interacts with Abraham because of the relationship God has with Abraham. Look at verse 18 and 19, and this is God speaking still. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, 
so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. And so God here is referring back to the call on Abraham's life. God called Abraham out of his homeland to a a place that he wouldn't know. And God called Abraham to be the father of many nations, to be a blessing to the nations. And ultimately, out of Abraham's family line or family tree, the Messiah, Jesus, would come. Abraham had a unique and special calling on his life. He had a unique and special relationship with the living God. And it's out of that relationship that God desires to interact with him and engage in this conversation, this prayer. And as we think about Abraham and his unique relationship with the living God, I think about us. And I think, well, what kind of relationship do we have with the living God? And if you think about it, we are part of Abraham's family line. If you've received Jesus in your life, the scriptures tell us that we become part of God's family. If we look at John 1, verses 12 and 13, it says this, Yet to all who did receive him, Jesus that is, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Abraham had a special relationship with the living God. And we, through Jesus Christ, have a special relationship with the living God. The scriptures tell us that we are children of God if we've received Jesus. And so think about that image of a child and a parent Think about the idea of the access that children have with their parents. There's a unique and special relationship between children and their parents. A few days ago, I went home for the evening, and uh, I was going to be kind of on my own for the evening. One of my daughters was home for about 45 minutes or so, and so I was getting ready to make myself, you know, a dinner for one, and, uh, and if uh, you talk to my kids, they talk about how sometimes I get a little hangry if I haven't eaten. I don't think it's true, but uh, they think that, you know, that's the case. If I haven't eaten, I could be in a bit of a mood. So anyways, I was debating, should I start making this meal for myself? And, and then my daughter says, hey, I got to run and do a few errands. Do you want to go for a drive? You know, dad, you want to go for a drive? And so the hangry side of me said, I should make myself some dinner. The dad in me said, how often does your teenage kid say, hey, I want to hang out with you for the next 45 minutes till I'm on with the rest of my life. And so I went for the drive with my daughter. Nothing really significant took place. We had a little bit of conversation, uh, nothing overly, you know, meaningful, but it was a good time of connection. And as I'm thinking about this idea as children of God, we have access to the father. I was thinking about my daughter having access to me and this unique and special relationship that we can have as father and daughter. And God has that same desire for relationship with us as his children. He desires that we come and engage with him and spend time with him. And it's out of that relationship, children to a parent, children of God to the living God, that we can engage in prayer and this kind of divine interaction in the same way Abraham did with God. And so in this divine interaction, we see Abraham's relationship and how that set up the privilege of having a conversation with God that we also can have. The second thing we see in this divine interaction is this idea of revelation that God desires to reveal himself to Abraham. 
He just said in verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And then in verse 20, he goes on to tell Abraham what he's about to do. It says, the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. And if not, I will know. And so then the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. God's beginning to reveal these plans to Abraham. He's sharing some things with him, things that he's about to do, things that he's contemplating doing. The, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and it's, you know, this outcry has reached him, and he's going to go down and investigate. And he's sharing this with Abraham. He's revealing these things. Abraham is getting to know God in, in pretty personal ways. And back a little earlier in chapter 18, uh, so after Abraham was interrupted, the beginning of this scene, God begins to talk about this child that Abraham and Sarah are going to have. And Abraham doesn't, and Sarah, sorry, doesn't believe it. She kind of laughs at the thought that she's going to have a child because she's so old. She's past the, you know, the ability of, of, of bearing children. How could this happen? And God revealed some things about himself to Abraham and Sarah. In chapter 18, verse 14, he says, is anything too hard for the Lord. I will return next year to you at the appointed, sorry, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And so as Abraham is getting to know God, God's revealing himself to Abraham. God's revealing some of his nature. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Another way of saying no, nothing's too hard for the Lord. I can do anything he reveals these plans about Sodom and Gomorrah and this outcry that reaches him. And so God's revealing things to Abraham. And so it kind of begs a question, how does God reveal what's on his heart and mind to us today? How does God reveal himself to us? And a little theology 101 here. Um, there's kind of two ways of looking at revelation, how God reveals himself to humanity. And the first way would be general revelation. The idea that you could look out and see the mountains, the beauty of God's creation, how sort of there's evidence in the world in which we live that God exists. That's general revelation. But then there's uh, special revelation or specific revelation where God reveals himself in personal, uh, specific ways. And ultimately, he reveals himself to us through his word. That's why we preach from the Bible every weekend, because God reveals himself to us as we look at him in his word. Redemptive historical events are recorded in the Bible. The person of Jesus, the incarnate one, God in the flesh, is talked about in the Bible. And so God reveals himself to us through these ways. And so I would encourage us to consider that uh, if we want to get to know God more, we need to prioritize spending time with him. That's why it's important to gather on weekends like this. It's important to, to spend time in his word. It's important uh, to spend time seeking his face because God wants to make himself known to us, just like he wanted to make himself known to Abraham. And as we get to know God and his ways in the, in the word, we get to know kind of his heart, his mind, his values, the things that are important to him which then leads to us being able to pray in line with who he is and what he's all about. And that's where Abraham goes next. So here in this divine interaction, we see Abraham bringing a request. He starts interceding with God. 
So look at uh, verses 23 to 25. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham starts making this appeal, pleading with God out of God's nature. Wouldn't the judge do what's right? So Abraham's pleading with him, you know, to to sort of change his mind or do something different. Would you reconsider what you're about to do? And then it launches into this whole sort of bartering back and forth where Abraham says, okay, well, if you'll spare the city for 50, you know, how about 40, 40? Do I hear 30, 30, 20, 20? You know, maybe he just came off a stampede that week. I don't know, but he's bartering with God about, you know, will you reconsider, reconsider, reconsider? What if there's only 10 righteous people? Would you reconsider what you're about to do? And as we look at this interaction, it kind of begs the question, like, why does Abraham care so much? He lives in the the region of the trees of Mamre, and, you know, they're out on this lookout overlooking the the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, and those people are kind of out there. What does that have to do with Abraham and his life? Why does he care so much, and why is he choosing to engage with God in such a passionate plea? Well, if we were to read on, we realize that Abraham's nephew, Lot, lives in Sodom. And Abraham's nephew, Lot, holds an important place in Abraham's life. If you were to read through the the last few chapters leading up to this, chapter 12, 13, 14, we see sort of the history of Abraham's relationship with his nephew, Lot. When Abraham was called out of his homeland to a place that he didn't know, Lot chose to go with him. And there wasn't really a lot of extra support from the family. And so this nephew of Abraham's, you know, was a a companion with him at the beginning of his call when God called him out. And then as they uh, began to accumulate wealth and flocks and livestock and all of this, they realized that the land that they were in couldn't support them both, so they split up. And that's when Abraham went to the region of the trees of Mamre, and that's when Lot went to Sodom, the region of the plains. And then in chapter 14, we hear about this battle that took place. Some foreign kings came in, and they actually took Lot away. And Abraham caught word through Facebook or something that his nephew had been taken away. And so he went to Lot's rescue, and he went to battle for Lot physically, warfare. And then he brought Lot back home and resettled him back in Sodom. And so here we have Abraham talking to God, and God saying, the sin in that place is so bad I'm going to wipe them out. And Abraham says, how could you? My nephew lives there and he matters to me. And I'm going to beg and plead with you because this means a lot. Lot meant a lot to Abraham. Who are some of the people that mean a lot to you? What are they going through in their lives? What are the circumstances that some of your loved ones are facing, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers? What are some of the headlines you see in the news that catch your attention? What are the things that pull at your heartstrings? And are you willing to bring those matters to the living God and beg and plead with him for the people that matter to you in the same way that Lot begged and pleaded, or sorry, Abraham begged and pleaded for Lot? 
1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And this is a theme through Scripture that we are called to intercede, to pray intercessory prayers, to pray petitions, to plead with God for the people that he's put on our hearts and minds and the people that matter to us and the circumstances that they're going through. And so that's the divine interaction that took place. And it ends in verse 33. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. And what a depressing way to dismiss us if we just stopped there. So I want us to look ahead a little bit and see what happens next. What happened as a result of Abraham begging and pleading with the living God. And so if we flip ahead into chapter 19... Um, There's some R-rated material in there that if you want to go and read on your own sometime, you're welcome to do that. But let me just summarize what happened. Basically, God's messengers go to Sodom, and they do realize that the sin is so outrageous and so grievous to God that something has to be done. But these messengers stayed with Lot, with Abraham's nephew. And so they actually rescued Lot and his family before God's punishment was poured down from heaven on Sodom. And Gomorrah. And so Lot's, uh, sorry, Abraham's nephew Lot was, was spared. And so that's kind of what happens through chapter 19. Like I said, the details, you can read that on your own. But look at verse 27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. So it's kind of like he's, what, what, you know, I wonder what happened since I begged and pleaded with God. And he's looking out to see. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. Because what had just happened was sulfur was poured down from heaven to destroy those cities. And so Abraham looks out. He's like, I wonder what happened. You know, that, that, that begging and pleading and, that I did with God, you know, would he spare the place? Because I know Lot lives there. And he's looking out over the plain, and he sees smoke rising up. And you kind of wonder how depressing that must have been for Abraham because he didn't know what happened yet. So he's kind of left questioning. And it makes me think, you know, one of the times where you've begged and pleaded with God for somebody or someone or some circumstance that you'd like to see change or God intervene in some powerful way, and you're just left waiting. And you're not sure what's going on. You know, what can we learn from Abraham's example here Well, not much is specifically said. We just know that he's sitting there looking out, wondering what has taken place. But look at the next verse, because that's where the hope is. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. God intervened. He remembered Abraham That prayer, that petition, that intercession made a difference. And, you know, it kind of raises the question, which a few people asked me when they heard that I was preaching on this passage. So did Abraham change God's mind? We're not really going to get into that. That's a whole big question that is maybe not super relevant to the, the heart of what's going on here. The heart of it is that God remembered Abraham. He remembered Abraham's prayer. He remembered that conversation. And that made a difference. Lot was rescued 
because Abraham interceded. I think Abraham partnered with God in God's plans and purposes in what was going on uh, in this chapter. And Abraham joined with God, and his joining with God through prayer did make a difference. So I think as we look at this passage and kind of this idea, you know, teach us to pray, what are we supposed to learn from this? Obviously, this is a passage about intercession, that we're invited to press in and plead with God for the people in our lives that he's placed on our hearts. But this passage isn't a recipe for how to manipulate God or force his hand. I think what we do see in this passage is that there's no guarantee of the outcomes when we pray, but there's an invitation to join God in his work in the world through prayer. And so I think what we can do is we can guarantee this. God hears us when we pray. He remembered Abraham. And if we read through scripture, this truth is affirmed throughout scripture. As God's children, those who've received Jesus, God hears us when we pray. He remembers our prayers. Our prayers are a form of partnering with him in his work in the world. And that leads to the second truth is that God is active in our world. He's a living God. He's alive, he's active, he's always at work. We don't always see what he's doing. Like Abraham, who stood on the, the, the ridge, looking out over the region of the plains, Abraham didn't know what God was up to. But God was up to something. And so we can b- trust that God is alive and he's active in our world. And so he hears us when we pray, he's active in our world, and he longs for us to partner with him. He longs for us to partner with him through the ministry of prayer, specifically to intercede for others in our lives. And so I I want us to close with sort of an exercise in some holy imagination and and prayer. And so I'm going to ask you, if you want to close your eyes, you can do that. But if you just kind of imagine this scene in your mind's eye, kind of like Abraham, who was with God on the ridge, overlooking the plain. Just imagine that God is with you, and he's, you know, pointing your eyes out in some direction, and sort of ask the question, what is it that you're seeing that God is pointing out to you? So imagine being with him, sort of looking out, maybe looking out over your neighborhood. Maybe there's a spot in your neighborhood that's kind of a higher place, and you could look out over your neighborhood. Or maybe you're looking out over our city, Maybe you're looking out over your workplace or your school. But as you're looking out over these places, what is God showing you? Who are the people on your heart and mind that you want to talk to him about? Maybe there's news headlines that he's showing you. Maybe there's recent conversations you've had. Maybe there's social media posts from friends that uh, would sort of inspire you to pray for them. Maybe there's just a prompting from the Holy Spirit. And so in this moment, I just invite you to pray. Pray for the people, pray for the needs that God's put on your heart and in your mind right now. And we'll just take some silent, just for a moment of silent prayer. Lift up these prayers to the living God.
Father God, there are so many people and circumstances and decisions and realities that are being lifted up to you in this moment. And we would just ask that you would hear our prayers, that like Abraham, you would remember these prayers. that you would affirm that reality that we are your children, we are your sons and daughters, and we can come to you with the things that are on our hearts and in our minds. We can come to you with the people that you've placed in our lives, and we can lift them up and stand in the gap and intercede for them. And so, Lord, hear our prayers. Father God, we trust you. You are the living God. You are always at work. You're fully alive. You're always up to something. And I just pray for those who maybe have doubting hearts tonight, that when we don't see what you're up to, when we don't know what you're up to, that you would help us to trust you in the midst of the unknowns. Help us to trust you in the, un the, the seemingly unanswered prayers. Help us to trust you that you do love us. You do love the people that we're talking to you about. You do have plans and purposes, and your ways are higher than our ways, and we don't always understand what you're up to but help us to know and to believe and to trust that you are present and you are at work. I pray for us that you would continue to teach us how to pray as we move through this summer, as we look at different men and women of faith. Would you inspire us to pray regularly, to pray inspired prayers, to, to pray real, authentic, faith-filled prayers. And so even from what we've learned tonight, would you teach us to pray? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'll just give a word of benediction as we go from here. And if you'd like to receive a benediction with open hands, you're welcome to open your hands in a posture of receptivity, and let me just speak these words over you. May you go from here with eyes and ears open to see and hear when God is trying to get your attention. May you go from here knowing in the depth of your being that you belong to God. You are his child. He loves you deeply. May you go from here confident that you can approach God and talk to him about the people and the needs around you. May you go from here with your faith strengthened and your heart encouraged. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed.